We last week went through, started going through Hebrews 4, and we'll have a little review on that before we finish the chapter, I hope. As it starts out, Paul telling these Jews, this is written to Jews who were born of the Spirit of God. They are, as the world says, Christians because they discipline themselves in an attempt to give glory to God in following the teaching and the way that Christ walked in the world. Because God loved them and God had given them birth of the Spirit and they saw the glory of God in Christ and therefore they sought to follow Him. Paul said, let us not fear. He's talking about entering into rest. The rest is in Christ. The rest that we have is a rest first and foremost relating to these Jews, a rest from the law of service. The law is never satisfied. The law demands us to be righteous as God, and we fall so far of that. We dare not approach unto the righteous throne of God by our works. We come in Christ. Our works are as filthy rags before Him. He is speaking to them about the rest of God, and he's talking about what was preached to them by the law, which was a type and shadow, and therefore even the law itself preaching what at that time, as the New Testament was being written, that the apostles of Christ were preaching by the law, and by the prophets, the gospel that we have today to those people that were alive at that time. And these are Jews. And these Jews were being tempted. These Jews were being sought by other Jews in the law service to return under the law service, the worship of the law, which is nothing more than what caused Adam to fall the day thou eatest thereof. Thou shalt be as God's knowing good and evil. A man that justifies himself by the law justifies himself by his own works. And as I've already said, our works are as filth, filthy rags before the throne of God. Paul is speaking them of rest. That rest is in the fulfilled law of Jesus Christ. Everything they had been taught all their life and the law of God that was given to Moses. And he's speaking to them about the law being fulfilled and the rest they have from that law in Jesus Christ. And I made mention of this last week. You can listen to any doctrine publicized heavily on the networks, radio, TV, whatsoever. And 99.9% of it is going to be teaching the very same thing that the Jews were teaching, the, the priesthood was teaching to the Jews of that day. The same thing that caused Adam to fall, making themselves as a God by keeping the law, fulfilling the law. And as, as Steve has already pointed out to us, that brings us nothing. It will not cover our sin because we are sinners. We are bankrupt. We have no way to pay that debt. We have no way to cover our sin. We're naked before God. And if I get to my text, we're going to talk about that a little bit. But we have a rest from that, and that rest is in Christ. He goes on down, and he talks about entering into that rest. They did not enter into the rest that should have been given them had they been able to keep it by the law. The law is good and just and holy. It's weak because of the flesh. 
The flesh is fallen. The flesh is of man. The flesh will perish. The flesh cannot satisfy the law. They could not enter into that rest because of unbelief. This is not speaking of rest from persecution, sickness, disease, trial, and troubles. This is speaking of rest unto your soul. Again, from Matthew 11. Come unto Me, Christ, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest unto your souls. I, Christ, will give you rest. What rest? Unto your souls. The knowledge of God that God gives you and the preaching of the Gospel which brings life and immortality to light. The knowledge that Christ died because He loved you. He saved you from your sins because He's quickened you in spirit and the rebirth and because He's promised you a home and glory, spirit, soul, and body together raised up forever. There we'll have rest there we'll have rest truly. The body dies, it rests in the ground. The spirit now has rest from God when it's quickened. There, body, spirit, and soul will have an eternal rest with Christ walking with Him and seeing Him. But going on with the text, he said, today, this day, this is the day, this is the time to believe the gospel. The text here in Hebrews 4 is about unbelief. They were being tempted by the other Jews. To not believe the gospel, that Christ was not the Son of God. They took Him. They crucified Him. You can't blame it all on Him. If you're a child of God, let me rephrase that. If you love God, He loved you first and therefore He died for your sin. So therefore, your sin nailed Him to the cross just as much as the Jews. Harden not your hearts. Steve's talking about listening to the news. Oh, it angers me so much. To see the shape of things in this world. I despise and I loathe evil. And that's all you see. Turmoil, evil, wickedness, sin. But we have a rest from that in Christ. Paul is telling these Jews, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. We talked about that last week. We can occupy this land. Two people. Two people, Joshua and Caleb, said we can conquer this land because God with us. Every other child of Israel was afraid of the spies, afraid to go in and take the land because the people were giants in their eyes, regardless of the beautiful fruit and the milk and honey that was before them. Brethren, we live in the church of God. We live in the kingdom of God. The, 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 the gospel of Christ is very simple. Christ came and He finished the work the Father gave Him to do. He saved His people from their sins. He gives you life. Life brings that, uh, uh, the, the gospel brings that life and immortality to light. You have hope in the Spirit of God. You have knowledge taught to you in the preaching of the gospel. It's very simple. There's nothing added to it. Our hearts should not be hardened. We should not seek after the things of the law. We should not seek after the things of the world. Our rest is in God, which He finishes saying down here as we go to the, the, the next part of the text, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest hath also ceased from his own works as God did from his. We realize that our work attains nothing but death. The best we can do is fail. The best that we can do is die. 
But yet Christ died to save us from our sins. Can you see? We in the knowledge taught to us by the Spirit of God and the Gospel rest from our works. We realize our works cannot attain anything good for us and we rest in the finished work of God, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Just as God rested after creation because that work was complete, Christ is the right hand of God. He's finished the work of eternal life and founding the church here in this world and we rest in that. And we went on and said, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And I told you, last week I'm going to stop here and start here for the word of God is quick that is Christ the Jews put a capital W for the word of God the living word of God he was the word that was spoken when God created everything for the only thing not created is God Father Word Holy Spirit he is the word that created He's the Word of God when God spoke and said, let there be light which drove the darkness away. He's the Word of God which puts life in your heart, the light of God, the knowledge of God in Christ and drives the darkness away. He's the Word of God in eternity that represented the children of God in the covenant of love when the Father and the Word and the Holy Spirit made covenant of His people which He would die for because of His great love. The Word of God is quick. It's living. It's instant. Either way you want to view quick. Instant or living. For quick means living. And He is the God of life. He is God Himself. He's God manifest in the flesh. He is the giver and the only giver of life. And powerful. As powerful as creation. When there was Nothing but God. I've thought about that so many times. That Webb telescope they've got every couple of weeks is finding something new in the vast creation of God. It's brought many of those, as I call them, squirrel-headed idiots of science falsely so-called who say there is no God. It's brought many of them to their knees in seeing the great creation of God beyond our universe, beyond the universes beyond us. Billions of planets. Millions of galaxies. How vast. How vast. And yet, God is beyond that. I've thought about that many times. The power of God. When there was nothing, God does not end. God does not end. Creation ends. All the beauty God made has a place where it began and stops. It's contained in God. It's, it's reserved in Christ for His purpose. Whether destruction or life, depending upon whom it's dealing with. Beyond that is God. The Word of God. Quick. Powerful. When there was nothing in the power of God, the Word of God Created. This is our Savior. This is He who saved us. This is He who loves us. And He's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
I made mention last week, and I read this somewhere. I'd tell you who said it if I could remember, but I am going to tell you I didn't come to it of my own knowledge. Somebody else said it. It cuts both ways. It cuts through the wicked, and it cuts to the righteous. It destroy, will destroy the wicked, but it cuts the heart of a child of God. He touches. He saves you. He cuts you off. He made you holy. Christ hang between two men. He separates you. He's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Made mention of this several times. I'm going to do it one more before moving on. God formed man from the dust of ground, breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and man became a living soul. <coughs> that body was created of God from the dust of the ground, temporal. It was there, but it had no life. Just a vial of hand was placed in the ground yesterday. Many of them across the road. It has no life in it. It's dead. In their sense, they're resting. But the point I'm making is when God formed man from the dust of the ground, He lay there unable to move because He had no life in Him yet. And by the breath of God, God breathed the breath of life into His nostrils. And man became what? A living soul. The Bible says Abraham and 70 souls went down into Egypt. Soul, living being. Here's the body. Here's the ghost that God, the life, the spirit that God would breathe into the body of that man. And man became a living soul. We don't see that. We can't understand that. I've seen pictures, men would try to draw of it, where the, the body would be there and the great hand of God would be coming down to touch. But that's our imagination taken from Scripture, maybe. Maybe imagination. We understand it's true. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, my point being, we cannot see that spirit. We cannot see that soul. There's a reason he's teaching us that. And of the joints and marrow, these old arthritic joints with knots and bumps all over them, you can't see that through my skin. You can see I'm a sinner by the knots that come up on my arms and feet from arthritis, but you can't see what's in my bone. You can't see my, mar my marrow and my bones. It's hidden from us. We can't see the soul. We can't see the spirit. We can see the man or the woman as one whole, but when they separate, we can't see that. Nor the joints and marrow. And is a discerner, here's the point, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Steve was going from Romans 7. What I do, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. It's not me that does it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's our nature. A child of God, as long as he's in this body, is going to fight and suffer against sin of himself, first and foremost after he's born of the Spirit of God. And also the things of the world. 
God, let's rephrase this, God manifest in the flesh, Christ, the same Word of God, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Genesis 6 was mentioned. For God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. God saw, God knew that every thought, every imagination of their heart was only evil continually. You could not see that looking at a man. You may see it manifested the way he lived, but you cannot see the thoughts of the heart. God is, Christ is God, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let that sink in when you want to think about the greatness of God. Let that sink in when you think about the things in creation that we have not seen with our eye that this telescope is picking up billions of light years away. God knows them all. God named them all. God knows all things. God knows every thought of your heart from the time you are conceived in the womb till the time you leave this body. God knows the thoughts of the heart. And when you leave this body and the body's laid down, you will see Christ as He is. You're free from sin and all of your thoughts will be holy and righteous. And that's what we ought to look for. Neither is there any creature. The Jews, he's writing to Jews. Remember I told you when we started this, where Paul says, in a certain place or in one place. He didn't say that like I sometimes do because I don't remember where it's at. He's the writer of Scripture. He's the one who penned it, who moved holy men of God, whom God had separated in Christ for the purpose of writing the Scripture and forming the church. And he knows it all. It was said in one place, just as he's saying here, creature, because that was a term that the Jews would use. They all were educated in the law, the books of Moses and the prophets. They knew where these things were, and instead of saying uh, Genesis 2.6, he said in a certain place. And they, everyone, knew where he was talking about. Paul is talking to born again people of the Hebrew nation that God had touched and sanctified and given life and set aside in the church of the living God for the glory of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He said, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Steve talking about trying to hide from God. We went through Revelation, we talked about those. They said, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Let the mountains fall upon us. They'd rather die than see the wrath of God. And I can full well understand that. We have to realize that our God is a terrible God. He loves His people and He hates wickedness. Sin cannot exist before God. He hates it that very much and He's that very righteous. And bringing us to the point that when a child of God has done something that hurts their conscience, whether willingly or ignorantly sinning against God and God reveals Christ to you, you may already be born of the Spirit, but it comes into your mind 
that Christ sees and knows all things. And even though we want to hide from God, let me crawl under a rock. You cannot hide from God. You cannot hide from Christ. He knows all things. Just like the planets and all these universes, He knows every thought of every man, woman, and child that they will ever have. He knows everything you will ever do. Well, why does that matter? Some might say, the very hairs on your head are numbered. It teaches us just a part of the power and glory of the Word of God, Jesus Christ. He knows all things. That's why the covenant was made before the world ever was. Because God in omniscience knew that man would fall. He chose His people. He loved His people. He provided a Savior. That work is finished. And now we're here in the church of God to praise God. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. But all things are naked and open in the eyes of Him whom we, with whom we have to do. In the Colosseums of Rome, they would have men wrestle. They would be naked. They would fight and wrestle. When a, when a wrestler would take another wrestler and pull him down, he was exposed. What would make us blush and shame? He was exposed. When the high priest, this is what the Jews relate this to, and he's speaking to Jews. When the high priest would take the offering and he would hang it up and he would skin it. He'd hang it up by one leg. He would skin it. When he had it skinned all the way down, he cut off the head. The entrails. The entrails. You ever gutted a cow, a pig, a deer? The entrails would come out. They would take them out. They were exposed. Do you see what the Scripture is teaching us? Christ knows the thoughts of the heart. Good and evil. He knows all things. They are open. They are exposed to Him. That's when the high priest, we're fixed to talk a minute about that, would sacrifice an animal. Yet Christ is the sacrifice that paid our debt to God. By His blood do we have salvation. We've become such a genteel nation full of soft, sensitive men, we don't want to talk about blood anymore. But we're saved by the blood of the Lamb of God, and that is Christ Jesus, the Son of God, our High Priest. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened in the eyes of Him whom we have to, with whom we have to do. What do we have to do with God? Let's begin with the covenant. Let's begin with sinning against God. Let's begin with being in our nature dead to God and all that's entailed in our nature. Let's talk about being with Him at the cross when His body became sin for us, when He bore our sin and our infirmities. And by His stripes we're healed. 
Things we have to do with Him. Things that He did for us. Things that He will do for us. Seeing then this, this God, this man Christ, whom y'all, speaking of the Jews He was, took and crucified. God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This man, Jesus Christ, all man, all God, seeing then that we have a great high priest, not just a high priest. Let me expound on this just a moment. If the Lord will bless. The high priest was chosen. The first was an Aaron that teaches us the high priest had to be chosen. He came from a certain lineage. <clears throat> we know there was a change in the priesthood. It went from the Levitical priesthood to Christ. But the high priest once a year would offer a sacrifice for his sin, first and foremost, and for the sins of the children of God. He had to be clean to pay the sacrifice. He had to be without spot, without blemish. Aaron would bathe himself, anoint himself with oil and blood before going into the holy place. That shows us Christ, the oil, the Spirit of God, His blood entering the holy place. He is our great high priest. He's not just a high priest. He's our great high priest. The high priest would take the blood and he would take it into the Holy of Holies. He would place the blood exactly everywhere that God gave him commandment to place. On the book, Testimony of Christ, the books of the law, Upon every child of Israel, there's the elect of God being cleansed in the blood of Christ, upon the steps to the very altar, teaching us that the church itself is here in the blood of Christ for the purpose of worshiping God in spirit and truth because He shed His blood for us. Because His blood brought us into the kingdom of God. We were without God in the world. And yet, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter this once a year to pay for the sins that we might be made atonement for. In His blood, at one minute with God, brought us back to God. The high priest to offer sacrifice. As the world could, of God's people could understand, Christ did not offer Himself to mankind. He did not offer Himself to the elect of God. He offered Himself to the Father as a Lamb of God, as a sacrifice in the holy place where He entered into once, not yearly, but once, and hath obtained eternal redemption for us. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens one more time, one more time, His work here was finished, so God received Him back into the heaven. Jesus, this is who He is, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. 
Let us cling to our profession. Let us cling to the Gospel. I told you last week, I don't want to cling to the cross of Christ. I don't have any right to be there. That was for Christ to fulfill the Father's work. If I was there, it's because He brought me there. Because He died for me because He loved me. Our profession is to take our cross upon our back daily. Deny ourselves and to strive to walk in the way that God has before ordained. Where does that begin? Once again, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's the first institution He made. That's why Satan has been destroying the family in this nation, this republic that God has blessed with the gospel for so many years. Twenty attacks the family. Twenty attacks the church. Because it's another institution of God. Well, he's in the government too, and that's the third institution of God. Because Satan attacks all three. Let us hold fast our profession. Let us hold fast the knowledge, the truth, the walk, the worship, Christ and Him crucified. Our hope our salvation, all in all, everything, every blessing in this sinful, cursed earth. Let us hold fast our profession as was said earlier, today is the day of salvation. Right now is the day of salvation. The world may end before we leave here, but for right now, Let us worship God. Let us worship Christ. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Give me five minutes. Christ was all man. Christ is all God. I said was. He is. He still is. The man, Jesus Christ, sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's all man. He's all God. Steve mentioned a virgin. He didn't have a man for a father. His father was God. He's conceived of the Holy Ghost, the third person of the Godhead. He was tempted of Satan, yet without sin. He used Scripture to rebut Satan. We could take that and talk about it a while. You think about it. My point is everything in this dark, sinful earth that has ever confronted man since Adam, he's experienced that temptation, all entailed. All entailed. Everything we face. Everything Satan throws at us. Weak, feeble, temporal creatures in this earth. Temporal bodies. Christ suffered yet without sin. 
He was at all points. You greedy, he faced it. You lust, he faced it. You hate, he faced it. You scared, want to go cry, he faced it. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. When you suffer temptation, I have been there, my son. He knows. He pities. He has respect unto you like He did unto Abel. And He will help you. Okay, let's go back to last week. When you fail, when you fall, when you have sinned and want to hide from God, when you're you're too ashamed to even pray, when you feel unworthy, been there, done that, to even open your mouth or pour your heart to God because you're such a sinful fallen person. The Lord says, I've been there. I love you. You're mine. He secures you. He gives you grace. He picks you up. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. That's where He sits today with the Father in heaven. I love that song, Grace, all the work shall crown through everlasting days. It lays in heaven the topmost stone and well deserves a praise. That grace is Christ. He sits upon the throne of grace, ruling and reigning. Come boldly. That doesn't mean that we come as people were doing in the 90s in these religious so-called organizations where they would come boldly and demand of God that God would do something for them. That is heresy. That is not what's being spoken of. Paul is teaching them that as you know that we're sinners and that God is righteous, it's been explained to you by the Gospel and taught by the Holy Ghost that sin cannot exist before God and as you were sinners but now you're saved in the grace of God, you don't have to stand off away from God. Christ made atonement for you. Christ redeemed you in His blood. You can boldly approach unto God in prayer. You can come unto God. Come unto Me. The text is about rest. All ye that labor. White man, black man, Asian, a new, whatever. Male, female, whatever. Good, bad, happy, sad. Come unto Me all ye that heavy that labor, because if you labor, God has already worked to work in you. If you labor, then you're heavy laden, fighting the things of the world that approach unto you, and I will give you rest. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, 
that we may obtain mercy. Now that's just precious because when we get mercy, we don't get what we deserve. That's what the word means. We're spared from what we deserve. That we may obtain mercy. Who needs mercy? Those that have disobeyed God. Those that are sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That we may obtain mercy and find grace, unmerited love and favor. You ever done something and felt bad and terrible and it was revealed to you that God loved you anyway? You ever had to discipline one of your children and pop their backside and they turn around and tell you they love you? Does it not? Does it not melt your heart? Does it not cause you to fall upon your knees spiritually? Now you think about the Lord and how much He loves us. That we may find grace to help in time of need. Now I don't know about you, but I need it 24 hours a day.